Nonne Solomon Dominatus Demonum Est. He's come back to finish what you interrupted, and each time he kills, he can bring back another of his minions, unless you stop him. Welcome to Now Playing's Sometimes They Come Back Retrospective Series. Hello, baby! <laughs> Part of the Now Playing Stephen King Podcast Review Series. There's no stopping this heavy flow. Hosted by Arnie. He's not like regular people. He's different. Stuart. Oh, he's a tough man. He ain't scared any. And Jacob. Well, they're not human. They're what's left when the humanity has been sucked out of them. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Yeah, we'll keep that in mind. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> Time to rock, John. <laughs> Today we're discussing Sometimes They Come Back, again, starring Michael Gross, Alexis Arquette, Hilary Swank, (laughs) directed by Adam Grossman. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and there's no stopping this heavy flow. Stuart in LA, again. I'm Jacob. I'm the podcaster man. (laughs) Yeah, now say that one for the next leg of the Night Shift collection, Jacob. We'll be getting to retarded lawnmowers in just a bit. Oh, no, let's get to them now. (laughs) I didn't think we would, but yes, I agree. We will. This is so many surprises, so many callbacks to other kings that we're not anticipating. Yes, sometimes they come back again. The direct-to-video 1996 follow-up to the made-for-TV movie. But, Stuart, you were wondering, what kind of tie-ins will this have? Is this going to be the same greasers? New greasers? Kind of a Teen Wolf 2 kind of thing. There's a little bit of a character from the last one who comes back, at least his hand. (laughs) I was so impressed that they worked that in. I gotta say, when we get to that, I was floored. I was convinced this is one of those in-name-owned sequels that basically redoes the plot with a couple gender switches. But no, they actually have a character ish in this movie (laughs) that came back that they were in the last movie and they came back for this props and this time they came back with famous people i I gotta say that no disrespect to tim matheson but i really recognize some faces in this cast this time i mean hillary swank the next karate kid yes come on mr keaton is in this one Yes. Well, Mr. Keaton, his career had kind of gone downhill by this point. He was doing Cool as Ice and Tremors 2. <laughs> Ooh, Cool as Ice? Yeah, the last time I remember him doing something fun was the first Tremors. I never got around to Tremors 2. Maybe someday for the show. I wouldn't put it past Arnie. But yes, <laughs> it's been seven years since his meal ticket, Family Ties, and he's ready to do direct a VHS horror, I guess. Still a step up from Cool as Ice, I just want to say. And he's doing it with Alexis Arquette, who uh, we will be seeing again later this year in Children of the Corn 5, and who pops up whenever they need a transsexual in a low-budget movie. And who we saw in Bride of Chucky. Indeed. Pulp Fiction, yeah, he's maybe my second favorite Arquette. Who was he in Pulp Fiction? I had said in that podcast he was the gimp. I was told many times I was wrong in that. We'll have to cover it. I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, I was very happily surprised. I knew nothing about this movie when I put it in. And when the cast list started coming up, I started scribbling down notes like, wow, Hilary Swank's career is truly inspiration for bad actresses everywhere. 
She is three years away from winning an Oscar. Her first of two, I just want to say. So yeah, there is hope after her being the next Karate Kid. But they're all coming back and not for TV. What happened here? Obviously, De Laurentiis is no longer involved. And this was not on CBS on any night of the week. Never will be aired on broadcast television due to the proliferation of fucks and booby shots. Well, basically what happened is the person who bought the rights for this died. And his estate got the rights. He was dead when the first one was done. And so, as happens, people realized, hey, we have the rights to a Stephen King film. It was 96. They were still pumping them out. They were a little leery of putting his name on the cover because of the Lawnmower Man lawsuit. But they did put his name in the credits. And, hey, it looked like a profitable way to make a little bit of money. And I understand that this did do very well in the international markets. I can imagine why, yes. (laughs) Less discerning tastes? <laughs> well, uh, and uh, yeah, just it shows you a lot more than CBS was willing to. Let me put it that way. Brooke Adams never had a, a shot with a demon like Hillary's going to. Oh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I didn't think we'd get to tentacle porn outside of an anime retrospective, <laughs> but here we are. Oh, my word. Yes, we will. So, Arnie, I think, why delay? Let's tell them what we're going to see. Sometimes they come back again. In the 1960s, John Porter followed his sister on a date, only to find she was about to be sacrificed by her boyfriend and his goons in a satanic ritual. John's presence interrupts the rites, and while his sister dies, stabbed by gang leader Tony, the gang also is killed, electrocuted when they step into a pool of blood that is connected to a downed power cable. Many years later, John and his daughter Michelle return to their hometown to bury John's mother, who died falling off a stool while reaching for some band-aids. But it turns out John's mother was murdered by the spirit of Tony. Tony has returned from beyond to complete the ritual. Since John's sister is dead, the sacrifice will be Michelle on her 18th birthday. Tony kills a few others in the town, including the mentally challenged lawnmower man, and each time he kills, one of his cronies returns from beyond. John gets advice from a crazy priest on how to send the demons back to hell, but the priest is killed by Tony and his gang before the ritual can be completed. Finally, Tony kidnaps Michelle and returns to that same power line-laden cave where they killed John's sister. John comes and interrupts the ritual once more and cuts off his own thumb to invoke the powers needed to send the demons back to hell. The gang is once again electrocuted, this time John actively placing the power line in the blood pool thanks to Chekhov's gloves. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done, sir. And with the demons gone, John and Michelle return home as credits roll. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard of the game Pull My Finger, but never cut off my finger. Yeah, this is a weird one here. They got all kind of new rules here. I thought I understood why they came back, but they they pull some moves here that we're going to have to get into. I'm not sure that it totally is the exact same premise as the last time. The last time, I felt like a man came back to the hometown that he ran away, and by his presence being there... It brought ghosts back. Here it's the opposite. The ghosts are there, and they kill his mother to get him back into the house. At the end of the last show, you were talking about King had pentagrams and satanic cults, and I'm like, "Ah, I don't know how that's going to work. Well, I guess we're going to talk about it, because that's what this is all about. Yeah, we're going to get my occult on. Yeah, they went back to the original material. The writers of this one, they watched the last one, but they felt that they wanted to be truer to King's story, so... They couldn't do what the last one did. They didn't try to do a remake or a reboot that went back to the original story. But they wanted to do a film adaptation closer to King's original. So I'm looking forward to talking about this with you, Stuart, because in the last one, you're like, you wanted finger dismemberment and pentagrams. Well, 
they apparently agreed with you. That's what they decided to adapt here. They were trying to, unlike Mangler 2 and Mangler 3 and Lawnmower Man 2 and Children of the Corn 8, they wanted to be truthful to the source material with the sequel. It's a rare thing. I guess I got my wish. Uh, we'll find out whether it was a monkey spaw kind of wish come true or whether it's a good thing. But here at the beginning, uh, before we get into King, we get into Psycho. I'm not sure why, but they decide that they want to recreate the shower scene with good old grandma cutting herself at the sink and then watching the blood drip out on the floor when she falls on a stone pig. I could not understand why they had a young actress in old lady makeup for the stunt. And then finally they do some flashbacks. I still don't remember seeing Mana, but we must have because that would be the only explanation. It was very Guy Pierce Prometheus. Oh, I thought it was because it was the stunt woman. They literally just had a young stunt woman. You know, if you're going to have someone fall off a stool and onto a hard object, you want to make sure that it's not an 80-year-old stunt woman. Are there 80-year-old stunt women that exist? I, that's my <laughs> point. It's much cheaper to do a cutaway and put a stunt woman in a wig than it is to put on these prosthetics. I was just wondering why they, her band-aids were so high. Seems like a bad place for an essential first aid item. Particularly if she's going to caress that knife the way that she was. But yeah, she's she's just really getting it super clean with her fingers and wouldn't you know it, slashes him open, tries to get the band-aid. We notice the supernatural is right there. That They float away out of her grasp. Not only does she reach up and not get them and fall, but something moved those band-aids. And so we're aware that there are ghosts already in this house. It's a big distinction between last time. The ghosts are here already. They're not brought back when this woman's son shows up in the next scene. Was I the only one who also thought, like, it looked like the stool might have been a little pushed by the ghost as well? I mean, Grandma wasn't just off kilter there. I think they moved the band-aids to get her to stretch, and then it looked like, and it could just be bad filmmaking, that the stool got knocked. Yeah, it is bad filmmaking, but I agree. It it could be. It could be the stool wobbles. That's all that we see. And whether that was because someone below was shaking it and whether that someone was a ghost or a PA, I don't know. But yes, it's a murder. We know for sure from this opening scene that these people are imitation Hitchcock and that we're watching a murder unfold here and that it's what needs to be solved. This is no accident. But then we cut to Michael Gross and... Here, I never thought I'd get a call back to Stephen King's The Boogeyman, that short film we did in the very first Night Shift one. I got that vibe, too, maybe because we just watched that recently. Yeah, but he's a shrink talking to a patient discussing why he's afraid of the dark and he's afraid of what he can't see. And I'm like, wow, it felt to me like it was a step away from the guy afraid of the closets. Yeah, I got a little bit of that here, but Michael Gross, uh, again, I guess they just want to have these milk toast leading men here. Tim Matheson, Michael Gross. I mean, everyone knows that Michael Gross was like the nice guy dad for Alex P. Keaton and all those kids on Family Ties here. Was this an attempt to branch out? I don't think he's very likable in this movie, and he spends most of it cranky and looking for guns. I feel like this character is not a Michael Gross role. I don't know why he took the part. I don't know why they'd want him in the part. Well, in an interview I read from a 1996 cinema fantastique, <laughs> I do my now playing homework, folks. This ought to be good. What, what was the spin? What did his press agent say? He was looking to branch out. He hadn't done horror and pentagrams and devil stuff, and he thought it would be an interesting acting challenge. And you got to look at it. This guy had family ties money. He didn't need the work. He probably just enjoyed working, and this is the kind of stuff he could get. 
Yeah, but interesting. I mean, come on. About as interesting as Tina Yother's reggae album. I mean, come on. No, that's far more interesting. (laughs) Not as good, but more interesting. (laughs) Perhaps. But he's always been my least favorite Family Ties character, even less than Tina Yothers. Yes, Yes, I agree. (laughs) And so to see him here, sans beard, well... I did like him in Tremors, I'll give him that. Yeah, he was doing something totally different in Tremors, playing this crazy gun nut, but yeah, here, he's boring, he's back to Mr. Keaton. Yeah, and I don't understand why they made him a shrink, that never really plays in. I honestly do wonder if they read the entire Night Shift and said, well, there was a shrink in Boogeyman, let's do that, because he could have had any career. This guy could have been a pastry chef for as much as it plays into the story. Forgive me for posing this, but I think it was meant to be a, a ironic character contrast. It was a writing flourish. Later, he, he meets up with that priest character who mocks the idea that psychiatrists don't believe in evil. There's a Donald Pleasance wannabe that's roaming in and out and keeps saying, you don't believe in evil. I think he's a therapist because therapists rationalize evil as explainable human failings. If there's a reason, that's what I got out of it, that this guy is wanting to rationalize something evil evil that he saw in his past. This is, like the first one, built on a big flashback where he saw something really bad happen to an older sibling. I figured this dude was a psychiatrist because he's got some Freudian crap going on in his past with his sister. (laughs) Watching her in her underwear, he's like, oh yeah, I see her in her underwear all the time, like, sneaking up to her when she's supposed to be getting banged in a car, like... This guy's got an unhealthy obsession with her. I blame his ginger friend for all of that. I mean, I did think he was a peeping Tom when we first get the flashback. He picks up some binoculars and then we cut to him as a child just glaring through the binoculars into some girl's bedroom. And then you find out it's his sister. But I blame most of that on his best friend there. Played by Patrick Renna, who was the overweight ginger in so many 90s films and TV series. Yeah, the, the wannabe Stand By Me, Sandlot. Yeah, I agree. I know I'm more from Pauly Shore's son-in-law, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the Sandlot is the one people know him from. You know him from Pauly Shore. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to do a Pauly retrospective. <laughs> oh, no. I was too old for the Sandlot. What can I say? I saw it, but I was too old for it. Yeah, I had younger siblings, so it came across my path. But yeah, it shocked me too, because I'm like, I don't think they want us to think incest. I'm I'm quite sure that's not an implied... You don't think they wanted us to think it? No, 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 no. Because that's all I was thinking. (laughs) I know. I think what we are supposed to think... Well, first of all, there's a friend over there. There's two girls that are parading around giving us titty shots. I think we're supposed to think that he's interested in the one that isn't his sister. I also think that we're supposed to think the friend is the one that wants to see Kenobis, and he wants to protect her. He's got a BB gun. He's up in the treehouse. He's the one that's going to shoot at the greaser when he comes to pick up his sister for a date or a threesome, as it turns out, because three greasers show up. Technically, isn't that a foursome? (laughs) Okay, yes. (laughs) But they're going off on, uh, on some kind of adventure, and the kid picks up his BB gun and fires at him, and that's when we're introduced to Tony. Alexis Arquette. The true funny thing is I'm watching the credits and I go, oh, Alexis Arquette is in this. And then halfway through the movie, I'm like, where is Alexis? Completely lost him in the character on this one. And I guess it's okay to call him him because when he made this movie, he had a penis. Yeah, it's 10 years before the surgery, but he's already changed his name. He's no longer Robert Arquette. It's Alexis. So clearly it was pre-op kind of stuff going on here, but a strange choice. He was always 
professionally credited as Alexis. Go figure those crazy arquettes. Oh, uh, yeah. They, who can figure out any of them? He's not even the strangest one in my mind. But, yes, I, I agree. It's a strange choice to put him here. Uh, Jacob, I think you observed already, looks an awful lot like Jerry Seinfeld here. Kind of Jerry Seinfeld meets <laughs> Jerry Dandridge from Fright Night. And, and what it really is, now that I realize it's Alexis Arquette, remember the episode of Seinfeld where he meets female Jerry and she cuts her head? That, now, yeah, it's all cementing now in my mind. I'm wondering if that's supposed to be a part of the horror. I'm wondering if they thought, isn't it creepy that this guy is androgynous? Can we work with that? Is that if he has long nails and wears too much lipstick, can we make that a part of the horror? I think that we're supposed to be kind of made uncomfortable by the fact that this very effeminate greaser is hitting on Lisa. Really? Because I got masculinity off of this guy. I got standard greaser. I was actually impressed that Alexis Arquette could play a role so straight. When we saw him in Bride of Chucky, he was comedic. He was a wannabe goth, but he wasn't really tough or anything. Here, he came across as actually creepy. Well, creepy, yes, but you really feel like he has the same macho threatening quality that the ringleader did in the last time, that Richard Lawson guy from Nightmare 2? I kind of do, with the leather coat and the cigarettes and the fact that all of these girls seem to want to sleep with him. I'm kind of getting that same kind of vibe. Or at least one. No, two. John's sister does, and then later on, that slutty friend Maria does. Yeah, but she's three sheets to the wind always. I think she'd hump a tree. <laughs> there is a different vibe, I think, with the Richard Lawson character from the last film. I mean, the way he would just stare at Jim, and there, there was a threatening, I think, a more macho one. This one, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is because there is a more androgynous look. I wouldn't say it's macho. I wouldn't say it's feminine. This person does have almost a ghostly, otherworldly look to them, which puts you kind of on edge whenever you see him appear. It's that nails. Again, I, th I thought about Fright Night, the way that Jerry would be the suave ladies' man, and then you'd see those long fingernails, and yeah, I don't know. It, it gives him a very feminine mystique to him, and I think they play with it. I'm not sure what they hope to get out of it, but I think it is an atypical choice for playing a macho greaser type. It isn't the same thing to me as last time here. And it's also worth pointing out, these boys are occultist right from the get-go. Last time, they were just people that wanted 12 cents or liked to bully children. This time, they are messing with the devil. They are going to take Lisa on their date to a cave where they hope to cut out her heart and eat it. Yeah, my naivety, I'm I thinking they're just going for gang rape. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking small. Yeah, like, she doesn't want to get in the car with all three of us, so you guys just meet us there. No, it's an occult, but like, they're Satan-worshipping greasers, and they're gonna cut her heart out? I don't know if I can go there. A gang rape, I could go there, here, I don't know. I actually like this as a, again, kind of an improvement to King Short's story, because in King Short's story, the ghosts show up for no reason, and then the main character uses Satanism to send them back. If they are created by Satanism, then at least you're only asking me to believe in one source. You know, the same thing that raises them can banish them. I'll go with that. So I like that the reason they come back is Satanism, and that's also going to be the ending from King Short's story. One or the other. Either get rid of the Satanism or make it everything. Right, and they've gone with the other, and, and that was my complaint last time, was that it was too much touched by Angel and not enough Sam Raimi. I think they've adjusted that formula. I think that it 
clearly earlier they're getting to the horror. They're not wanting these flashbacks just just be these drippy saccharine longing for the past. No, they're going to be titty shots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this they're they're going for yeah what I would expect a horror movie would be going for in 1996. But then in 1996, when this is taking place, we have John and Hillary Swank as daughter Michelle coming to town and meeting the two creepiest friends in direct-to-video history, Jules and Maria. These two give me, like, a vibe, like the twins from The Shining. Oh, me too. I was so gut. I was, that's exactly where I went. It took me a long while for me to realize that they were not nefarious characters. One of them is psychic and she can always anticipate things that are about to happen. I thought that was, she was a witch or something. I mean, it plays like a scary thing. It plays like she's trying to trap Michelle, that they want to suddenly be her best friend and take her out, I think is a danger to her. I don't realize that they're protectors. Yeah, they know too much about her. They know her birthday's coming, everything. I later guess it's because Jules is psychic, but the way it comes off, it's like they're stalkerish. Like, they were part of the conspiracy to bring her back to town. Yeah, I actually thought they were with the greasers at the beginning here. It does come off creepy that they know it's her birthday and they know her nickname. Did they know her when she was a child or have they never met her before? No, they clean the house of the grandma. That's their whole connection. They show okay. up for the wake because they knew the grandmother and that's it. They didn't know her and they didn't know the dad. That The dad never came back to visit. It's worth pointing out that Michelle has never seen the grandmother and the dad withheld going back probably because he was so traumatized at having seen his sister killed in a satanic ritual we'll get to that flashback in just a bit we don't know that in these introductory scenes but yeah these people are total strangers and they're crushing on michelle and trying to take her out for milkshakes i'm weirded out and i think they have one too many occultists here not only is there this psychic jewels but then there's this old man who's a, a priest or a religious figure who claims to have known michael gross 30 years ago and is screaming about evil he's the donald pleasant's wannabe yeah this actor william morgan shepherd i've seen him in tons of stuff there's nothing i can go and say he's that guy but like he was in the first transformers film he was in the star trek reboot he's in a ton of stuff and he just has that kind of voice he's got a great voice he does have a great voice to deliver some pretty cliched hackneyed lines, but yeah, he, he's got some kind of presence. He's what I would expect a priest character to be, but he's not even a priest. He's not religious. I mean, he's got beneath his church, under the floorboards, there's like a whole occult room with pentagrams and crazy books in Latin. And I mean, all they needed was like a green vial of Satan and we're back in Prince of Darkness territory. I like, though, that in the prophecies he's reading, it talks about the false prophet, and that's him. He's not a good priest. He's a false prophet. Yeah, that I'll give you that. He's shady. All of these people, none of them do I think are really going to be allies. There's cops later. The only one that seems truly benevolent is the simpleton. It's the guy that cuts the lawn. It's good old Stevie, Speed Racer. I was thinking of you, Jacob, with the <laughs> Speed Racer. Well, I'm glad it was because of the Speed Racer, not other physical or mental <laughs> abilities of Stevie. Yeah, why is he the retarded lawn boy? <laughs> Why is there a mentally challenged lawn boy in this film? Obviously, it is a total lawnmower man callback down to, again, calling back to the short story. He's killed by a lawnmower, but it is a very weird add-in. This is an amalgam of Night Shift stories going on here. I'm just going to say, though, perhaps 
I need to give credit to this actor, Gabriel Dell Jr. Congratulations, you play the best mentally challenged lawn boy in Stephen King film history. Oh, wow. Well, I, now I worry about the lawnmower man if this is the pinnacle of <laughs> acting for this type of role. You should be very concerned. <laughs> Talk about not liking Michael Gross's character. Steven, he's just mowing the lawn because that's when the old lady asked him to. And he comes out yelling at him. Like, here is the privileged rich doctor. Like, 7.30 a.m., how dare you wake me? Like, yeah, they do everything they can to make John really unlikable. Yeah, and he never has a warm moment. I guess they feel like they could get away with it because he was such a known, nice guy, Alan Alda type. Like, he just never played bad, so you would be shocked. You would be impressed with his acting skill that he could pull this off, if he could pull this off. But instead, it just makes me wish that we spent all of our time with Hilary Swank. She's the one we like here, and, you know, she's not bad. I can't say that I can see that this is Oscar-worthy, but she is credible in this role as this 17-year-old coming to a place and trying to make new friends. Let's face it, right? Hillary Swank, coming off of the next Karate Kid, going down into direct-to-video stuff. After this, very soon after this, she'd end up on 90210. This woman's going nowhere, right? I mean, if you look at her career, nobody's expecting anything from her in 1996 to 1998. She's billed underneath Alexis Arquette, yes. And now, nobody saw a star here, but but they should have, I guess is my point. She comes off well in the footage that features her, and I would rather watch, particularly if I were a young horror audience, I'd rather watch her than Michael Gross, yeah, yell at the lawn boys and yell at priests and things. There's not a lot of uh, empathy built up with this family whenever Michael Gross is on the screen, but her I like. I, I can't go with that. I, for whatever reason, don't get into her character in this movie. I do know Hilary Swank can be a great actress, but in this movie, maybe it's because she hadn't taken a class that she would take later in her life, but I'm getting a lot more screen presence off of Jules and Maria than I am off of Hilary here. Here, she just seems to be going through the motions. I'd put her on par with Michael Gross. Yeah, she doesn't leave a big impression on me. I, I think you're right. Maybe because we see Maria's boobs. That That's why I remember her character more. <laughs> or Jules has a cool death later on. Well, Jules was Jan Brady in the Brady Bunch remakes, so. Okay, not the place I would go, but <laughs> I'm going to stick with she gets a cool death later on. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Everyone here, even like the crazy priest and the main greaser, again, he's Alexis Arquette. He's rememberable, but most of this cast, they don't make much of an impression on me at all a double oscar winner and a completely unimpressive performance i'm not trying to talk her up as a great performance what i'm saying is that she comes off as very likable warm a character you're drawn to someone that we're supposed to have empathy because we know all of these other loonies that we've talked about are the fodder they're the fifth period class of the last movie we need to have characters die so that greasers can come back from the dead that's the formula for this franchise apparently and so yes Grandma died, and now that means Alexis Arquette can come back. Now we need to have more people die. That's going to be the lawn boy. That's going to be these two girls. We just have to recognize who they are and be okay when they die in a creative way. That's that's all that they need to be. And, and for that alone, I think this movie is heads and tails above last week because their deaths are more memorable and their characters are more vivid. And Alexis Arquette is a better villain. The first act of this film, the first half hour, I wasn't sure what I thought of Tony. I really wasn't. 
But when the deaths start to occur, and I gotta credit the cinematography for this, they do these extreme close-ups, like almost up the nostril shots, and he puts out his lips in this McJagger-like fashion. He comes across gleefully malevolent. And yeah, I'll put it out there. Alexis Arquette, I never thought I would say this. My favorite part of the movie is him. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, I never get the same sense of dread in this film that I did in the other one, but I I do like that the greaser, Tony, he starts dating Michelle, Hillary Swank. And, you know, of course, John's going to realize who this is. He's going to recognize Tony. And, okay, I get that. There's a different way to go. We never really felt a threat with Scotty until the very end when they lured him outside the church. Here, there is something menacing. Like, this is the guy that killed your sister. You know something's up. He's a ghost. Your daughter doesn't know what's going on, and now she's dating him. I mean, that kind of works for me, but all the drama in this town, I don't know. It just never draws me in like that previous one. This movie speaks a lot in innuendo. I've got to say, are we supposed to infer that she actually does start having a physical relationship with Tony? I know that it's a dream sequence and my favorite sequence (laughs) that Michael Gross has. Yeah, yeah. let's just say, like, we see Hillary Swank, like, getting wrapped up. I guess it's actually a demon's tail. I thought it was a tentacle. I'm like, well, here's the anime portion of the film. She's in this, like, high, I don't know if it's a wig or if they gave her an updo, but she's looking (laughs) very elegant, but yet she's covered in sweat. Like, she's really passionate. She's on top, so obviously she's having to work it. And then she gives this leering glance, but I think that's just dad's nightmare. I do not think she's having a physical relationship with Tony. Hell, when they bring his friend back, did you notice they show him completely naked? They do a close-up on the groin. There's no penis there. Yeah, there's no demon penis hanging off of that thing. There's like a little floppy, like, leaf thing. I think sometimes they come back without a dick. Yeah, but he (laughs) came back with a tail. I think that we've seen that this could be a a more than suitable uh, alternative to the traditional phallus. But no, I do feel like there's a lot of innuendo. If you look, like Maria's character is always sucking on a straw and when she gets frustrated, she ties that straw and or she's chewing on a lollipop there is a scene where hillary swank is running around the lawn smiling with a hose i I felt like they'd never showed a real sex scene but she has clearly gone out a couple times with tony i think we're meant to read between the lines i think when you look at her expression as she's dousing herself with that hose i think we're supposed to think that yeah it is a physical relationship if it isn't let me put it this way it's a mistake they needed to escalate they needed to have me believe that she loved this Tony character. You don't think she waits till a third date? I not only think she waits till the third date, I think she, you know, waits till the marriage, but beyond that, <laughs> I think if it is a physical relationship, they needed to give us more than a dream sequence and a girl running around looking happy with a hose. I thought she was happy because she was dreamy-eyed, you know? Like, teenage, young love. I did not take it as I just got laid last night. I don't know, this psychiatrist already had some infatuation with his sister i thought maybe it's just transferring over to the daughter yeah i didn't take it as she had actually banged tony and for a psychiatrist he is a horrible fucking communicator because at some (laughs) point you just gotta say oh by the way your boyfriend killed your aunt (laughs) well that sounds crazy unlike tim matheson who had no problem running up to the authorities and saying i had a dream and a woman's hung in a barn by ghost ghouls i mean this guy knows that he can't tell his daughter that these are the people that killed his sister he saw it He snuck into that cave when his pervert friend bicycled away. 
And he saw them tie up that sister. He saw them die in a puddle of water and or blood. Not by his hand. Again, I think that's a mistake. They should have had him kill them, but that's the twist this time, is that because he didn't actively kill them, that's why they can come back. That's the new rule to this death scenario that we have here. But when we get back from the flashback, he can't tell anybody else that. The only one that believes him is the priest. No one else is going to believe him that these ghosts have come back. But then, by this point, we really do start to get into the deaths. And you know what? I was serious when I said that Stevie here is the best mentally challenged lawnmower man, because I felt really bad when he died, even if it was a semi-cool death with, like, a swamp thing type of plant effect. You know what this is. I mean, just put a fine point on it. Freddy had been dead for a couple years. It was time for somebody to move in on his turf. They were hoping Tony could be the new Freddy here. This is a total nightmare on Elm Street kind of. I'm surprised it didn't happen in a dream here. Yeah, the vines crawl up and grab him and pull him down. And then the mower chops him up. And, you know, then there's a severed hand somehow as well. Yeah, everything here is designed so that Tony can have one-liners about the gore. Here's my question. The whole reason Steven gets off the mower and flips it over to check it out is because a shoe gets stuck in it. A red high top converse, which we saw was Wayne. The, you know, in the last film, Wayne, when the greasers were assaulting him, they took his shoes and they threw them. Is this, is this a callback to that last film? Is this Wayne's shoe appearing in the lawnmower? It is, and I'm so impressed that they did that, just as I'm impressed when they bring back Tim Matheson's character just a little bit later in the film. But yes, they actually bothered to watch the film last week <laughs> and comment on it. As someone that has to do that here at Now Playing, I'm always so glad when I feel like I'm sharing that with somebody, that I'm not the only one that remembers there was a, a story last week. They saw it, and they're trying to make little callbacks. So you like it when the filmmakers work as hard as we do? <laughs> at least. At least as hard as we do, yes. I prefer when they work harder, but yes, as a bare minimum. Yeah, I was surprised we got a call back to that last film. <laughs> but as far as the one-liners go, Alexis Arquette's looks like a bad hair day. Mind oh. giving me a hand? He does two puns in a row. Come on. <laughs> he is no Freddy. They're horrible. I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that this is good as Robert England on his worst day. It's better than Robert England in The Mangler, but it is <laughs> terrible, terrible Freddy imitation. But there was no competition. At this point, 1996, all those horror movies were out of fashion. Scream hadn't come out yet. It was fair game for somebody to do this kind of schlock, and they were probably the biggest game in town. If you wanted to see a slasher make puns about someone getting chopped up in a lawnmower, this is where you had to go. The second death is not really one I mourn. It's more one that I eat. There's a pet pig running around like Arnold on Green Acres. <laughs> is there a satanic greaser pig that they need to bring back? Is that why they kill it? I, I don't know where this thing came from, but again, I appreciate that they kept it running at least. It was a pig statue that killed Grandma. She had a thing for them. There's wind chimes that are pigs. There are pigs on her mailbox. She liked pigs a lot. This was her pet, right? That's what yeah. I took. Yes. Yeah, exactly. She was the pig lady. She could get away with it. The strangest thing, though, that, you know, the, the pig's blood, it's sprawled out in the pentagram, and, you know, the, there's that fire poker shoved through its head. And then John and Michelle, they clean up the crime scene. Like, they want to catch these bad guys, but, like, they mop up the blood, and they bury the pig before the cops get there. This makes no sense. Like, this is baffling to me. Yeah, but these are local cops. I mean, I'm more impressed that she's able to determine that the blood on the floor was the grandmother's 
blood and not the pig's blood. I'm like, they have CSI crime labs here at little old Green Rock. I don't even understand what they're doing with the police. Those are characters. They don't die. They don't really do anything. I think they might die. If so, it's off screen, (laughs) but... Yeah, they're not the greasers the whole time, right? There's a fake out late into the movie where we find out that the two cops become the three greasers and that traps our psychic character, but I don't think we're supposed to think this whole time all the cops are the ghost of the greasers. I just don't get why they're here, other than, I guess, this one bit of information. The blood that was all around the pig in a pentagram is actually Grandma's blood. But they don't die on screen, and nobody comes back from them disappearing. Or the pig. Yeah, it's all kind of, I guess it just keeps things moving, you know, in a slasher film. You just want to have deaths at a continuous rate. It's what keeps us paying attention here. Nobody's here for the Michael Gross dramatics. Yeah, I'll just say, killing the pig and sometimes they come back again is no boiling your bunny in Fatal Attraction. Definitely not. Hell, the pig doesn't even get a one-liner. So then he comes back, as we've already noted, sans testicles, because the lawn boy dies. Nobody comes back because the pig dies. So Vinny takes Maria out and shows her the ghoul face, rips her up. Now the gang's all back. I prefer her surprise to his. I'll just say (laughs) that. (laughs) And I got to say, you know, this is what? This was direct to VHS. They're not too concerned with the rating. Uh, You know, there's lots of tits in this. This makeup is nowhere near as scary as that last film. Like, they got a couple bumps on their head. I think some horns. It's it's really bad looking. She took off her shirt. He was horny. What do you expect? (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't use that line. But, Stuart, you already brought up My Demon Lover, but that's the effects that it's reminding me of, is Scott Valentine in that 80s demon love story. Absolutely. And I do think, yeah, we're at a crossroads here. If you preferred Smaltz, if you would rather be watching Ghost, you're probably really turned off here. As someone that didn't want to watch that kind of Ghost story last week, I'm more forgiving of this. It's bad. Don't get me wrong. I do not want to come off like a fan of what I'm seeing here. It's preferable to me to watch people in cheesy ghoul makeup showing tits and blood than having people in a TV movie trying to make me cry over something that happened 27 years ago. I just feel like this one is more in the vein of what I feel like watching if I'm going to watch a schlocky little movie. I'll agree. This is my comfort zone. I may not think the film is great, but there's just something that I could have this on and watch it endlessly. Tits, blood, bad makeup, schlocky horror, bad one-liners. It's what I grew up on. It's junk food. Yeah, and this is junk food I don't want. It was hard for me to keep my attention, just to watch this. I mean, it seems like so much of this film, we talked about all the flashbacks in the last one. How many times do we see, you know, where we finally get into this cult and these pentagrams and this pre i mean how many times do we see the camera just pan over pages of demons and pentagrams and i don't know some weird spell they're supposed to do it's just this is not doing anything for me and that's because they keep wanting to include michael gross into this story i agree he gets a book he's begrudgingly being like all right I i guess if my daughter's about to turn the same age that lisa was when they killed her in the ritual i'll learn how to say the latin so yeah there's it's basically anytime michael gross is in this film it's a bad scene i agree all that stuff with him and the priest and learning the spells and all that it really weighs the movie down it would be much more fun if michelle had more teenage friends and they were getting killed like they do with jules yeah if this if this film could have been more like this scene with jules now she's this she's a real psychic right she could actually read minds and do the tarot cards 
But she didn't realize that these people were demons from hell. Yeah, when they were pulling out the devil card and death, I, I really thought that she was going to play more of a hero role. I didn't know she was going to be fodder to bring back another greaser. I thought you give someone powers, give them the shining, since we're in a king film, they're there at the end to help save the day, right? This actually did shock me that they take her out. Yeah. And I was shocked how she was taken out because last time I checked, because it looked so awful. Playing <laughs> cards are not made of steel that can pierce bone. Oh, come now. You know you're enjoying this. I mean, it wakes you up. It makes you realize that you're watching a third-rate Freddy ripoff when, yeah, they're making the tarot cards float and spin around and fly into her palm and her head and all of this stuff. I Again, this is not great stuff, but it is more lively. Here's what's funny is there was something in the camera setup that let me know an effect was going to happen. And so when Jewel sticks her hand out, I think she's going to go carry. I think she's going to have telekinesis and push them back. I know there's an effect going to happen. I never expected the tarot card giving her stigmata, but I knew something was going to happen there. And yeah, she's off, and I'm a little sad. Yeah, she would have been a cool character to, to develop, to have more. And her death is pointless. You said it was so another greaser could come back. No, the last greaser already came back with the death of Maria. Maria got killed by making out with the ghoul, and now they should be on to whatever plan they have. The problem I have at this point is, I don't really know what those ghouls want. Yeah, they want to eat a heart and finish that ritual that they wanted to do 30 years ago. And yeah, they want to punish Michael Gross for getting away with it. But then what? They take a road trip to Tim Matheson's house. Oh, that's true. No, this is, I don't know, to me, this is very disappointing. That kind of like in that last film, and even if I didn't, come on. That guy had just defeated his own ghost. He had saved, you know, let his brother cross over. And this is how he gets taken out in this <laughs> sometimes they come back universe. Like, this is awful. I'm sorry. It's only awful if you thought last week's movie was recommendable. I didn't. I kind of laughed. Was that a period joke, though, when Tony's talking to John on the phone and says, there's no stopping this heavy flow. He's bleeding like a stuck pig in summertime. I did take it as a period joke because he started off talking as Jim's wife. I, d I don't know why he's making a period joke, but I did take it that way. Exactly. It would make more sense if he had killed the entire family, uh, if they had linked that with the wife. That they do the voice, and I got to say, it did sound like Brooke Adams. I got excited at first. I, I really did think that Brooke or Tim Madison might come back for some silly old cameo. We never saw them again anyway. Sometimes they come back for cameos. Yeah, sometimes they do when they need to pay the rent. <laughs> They could have been here, but no, it's all kind of a fool of the audio or, yeah, uh, hand dripping just out of frame. Whatever. I I'm glad they did it. I thought it was funny. It this movie has way more callbacks to the first one than I ever would have thought. Yes, one would be more than I would have thought. Yes. And, you know, I do think it's in the spirit of this. They're not trying to do what they did last time. Let's kill it. Let's give people what they want for low-budget VHS horror. Let's give them some schlock. I don't think that last film was on the tip of anyone's tongue as they were watching this. I doubt many even knew about that one. It just seems a weird callback to me to go to that TV film that I guess wasn't even available on VHS. Listen, I'm sorry, but if you're going to make a sequel to a film, there should be a reason for it. I like this callback. I'm with Stuart. I much prefer this than Mangler 2, which has absolutely no connection to Mangler 1, and we're trying to figure out how the washing machine became a virus. Yeah, it's not like it makes it a much better film, but it makes it more satisfying. If I had to watch the movie last week, it doesn't feel like a total waste of time. I'm rewarded for remembering what I sat through. 
Does that mean you're recommending this film? <laughs> because if not, then I would have to say both were a total waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they totally are. But let's finish up. Before we get to my not recommend, why don't we talk about the ending? <laughs> so much like the last one, it does end in a cave reenactment where it's what happened in the past happening again in the present. I do like, though, the change of church scene. In the last one, the bad guys couldn't go into a church. Here, all right, I read the Stephen King story. I knew somebody was going to lose a finger. I didn't want it to be Michael Gross. I guess I do have some family ties affection. <laughs> so when the priest starts cutting off his own thumbs, I'm like... Phew, it's the nasty priest, not Michael Gross. And then the priest gets killed. So I'm watching the rest of the movie in suspense for Michael Gross's thumb and wondering why it can't be a pinky. The ritual's a digit, not the single most important digit on your hand. The only suspense I'm in is, will Hillary go full titty shot like Lisa did 30 years ago? I really wonder, and this is before she's famous, is she going to agree to on-screen nudity? The answer is... She'll give you a little bit of pentagram blood on a cleavage, but nope, no boobies. What are they trying to do? Are they trying to raise, like, the devil? Are they going to bring the devil to Yes. No, no, immortality. (laughs) What they say is, if we do this, we can live forever. But there's always this talk about, like, a final, like, demon or something rising. I remember the immortality talk at the very beginning when we get that flashback. The beast. Yeah, something else was going to come out of that puddle. I'm with you on that. I thought that there was grander schemes. I thought they were trying to conjure something as well as live forever. I mean, they already kind of got the immortality thing anyway. They came back. I mean, fuck. They're they're alive again. I mean, I don't know what, how drinking a little bit more blood is going to do anything else. I thought the spell finishing the eating of an 18-year-old woman's heart was going to bring a big old beast out. I thought we were going to get an end boss. You know, the, the ending <laughs> is always a giant monster. I, I thought that it might go that route, but it doesn't. Yeah, talking about sometimes they come back stupid. These three (laughs) greasers, they step in the same damn puddle. Willingly. The man's holding the live wire this time. This (laughs) is the difference. Last time, the live wire just happened to fall in while the kid watched them fry. This time he's got it, and he's wearing those gloves. Thank God Stevie went on for minutes (laughs) at end about how these gloves can protect him from a million volts, and he can just go ahead and keep them. He might need them later. I don't know how they got to the cave. Yeah, were those the same gloves? I thought yeah. that was just a random pair. It looked like a toolbox. I'm like, I don't how? know. Did he put that toolbox there? But yeah, it was so obvious. I'm like, oh, great. The big showdown's going to come down to some Rubbermaid kitchen dishwashing gloves. Listen, I'm using leisure suit Larry type of logic. If a character <laughs> gives you gloves and says you may need them later, they're in your inventory for when you need to pull them out of the air. <laughs> they just come out of there, yeah. Just... Leisure suit Larry. I like it. <laughs> and around the same period as this. Yes, I yes. agree. I would have been playing that game but yeah michael gross saves the day ish i guess i mean <laughs> there's a necklace that was i mean it's kind of like a victorian flavor flay thing it's basically a pocket watch that they wear around the neck and he breaks that he fries them he shoots them the priest says we need an object that the demon has touched and your sister has touched and your daughter has touched i'm like well thank god people have been passing around that necklace <laughs> what if they hadn't uh, they could have just used Michael Gross, I think. I mean, he's been touched by all of them. I, yeah, why not? 
Get rid of him. I'm not certainly wanting him to live here at the end. I would have been totally fine if he gave his life to save Hillary Swank. He gave his yeah. thumb. What more do you want from the man? He'll never write again. Well, we see him writing at the end, though. Yeah, he's still doing sessions. Yeah, the epilogue, the happy ending is he's back at work. He's not let the heavily bandaged missing thumb get in the way of being a therapist. And we see that guy that was afraid of the dark. Still afraid of the dark. Well, no, no, he's no longer afraid of the dark, completely without any help from Michael Gross. I'm like, why are you paying for therapy? You got over your issue without Michael Gross's help. Uh, you don't need to come back anymore. Are there, like, guys in their 20s that are afraid of the dark? I thought that was weird. Yeah, Stephen King admits to having a fear of the dark to okay. this very day. Well, I mean, there's reason to be afraid of the dark in certain scenarios. I mean, I'm afraid I of, st- of stubbing my toe. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it- you go to therapy for that to discuss that phobia. Now, yeah, maybe this guy will get his own spinoff. Maybe he's the sequel when they come back for more next week. I don't know. I have no idea what's coming next. Although I did peek, and we do get another has been sitcom star. Yes, in her feature film debut. <laughs> uh, can't wait. But we do see Tony return one last time. Did you guys stay till the very end credits? No. Was there a post-credit scene? There was a post-credit <laughs> No, I did scene. not get there. was there. a stinger at the end where Tony is again in that patient's chair laughing and saying he's back. So Tony was really, see, I took that as, you know, here was this patient who had these fears and couldn't get over them and they were affecting his life. And I thought this was supposed to say, you know, that Michael Gross, that now he had this fear that everywhere he turned, he'd see Tony and he'd been marked, even though he had saved the day and come out of the cost. But no, I guess it was literal. Maybe. I think it was as literal as there could be. If this had been a smash hit and Alexis Arquette had kept his penis, (laughs) maybe Tony would have returned, or maybe we'd get whatever we're going to get next week. But for this week, Jacob Stewart, do you again recommend sometimes they come back again, Jacob? (laughs) No, a recommend is not coming back again, not even a weak one. This one's a pretty solid not recommend. For my taste, it it has nothing that hits it. This cult stuff and witches and warlocks and spells and, you know, we got to do things with watches and fingers. I I don't know. It's not told very well. The the prosthetics just it, it comes off very campy to me and not in an enjoyable way. There's no characters I really like. You know, I kind of like Jules, but she just gets taken out for no reason. Except maybe she had psychic powers that could have saved the day. We will never know. They never explored that. But this is a film full of people that I pretty much don't have any interest in watching. There's nothing in the writing to keep my interest. I don't know. Is it weird that the mentally challenged guy is one of the more engaging characters in the film? I I don't think it's because of great writing. I think it's because no one else has any characteristics. So, yeah, a solid not recommend for me on this one. Stuart. How can I recommend anyone come back for something I didn't think they should watch in the first place? No, this is not a good movie at all. The barometer is, is it more enjoyable than last week? That answer is yes. For me, there is a slight improvement because we're dealing with something that is knowingly campy, silly, rather than something that was, for my estimation, far too self-serious with its treacle. I mean, I just think that brazen stupidity in this case is better than a wannabe ghost. But, you know, no, this is not good. If you had to see one, this is the one to see. You haven't seen three yet. 
Uh, okay, you're right. I have not seen three. And maybe <laughs> I will change that next week. My feeling is it's not going to get better. And I do feel like if you like low-grade horror, and yeah, you had seen all of your Freddy movies nine different times, and there is nothing else on, this will do in a pinch. I mean, this is really Z-grade Freddy ripoff stuff with bad puns, cheesy gore. All of that. I think its biggest failing in that is that it didn't focus enough on Hilary Swank and the teens. There's too much Michael Gross here to make it truly fun. But a slight improvement, still a bad movie, I not recommend. And I agree with you, Stuart, in that I'm looking at this and, yeah, I realize it's not a good movie. But it is so much in the lines of the type of stuff I enjoy watching. You got some blood, you got some tits. Again, I mentioned Wishmaster. I'm also thinking about some of those middling direct-to-video Silent Night, Deadly Night sequels that had nothing to do with the originals that we watched, especially Initiation with the witchcraft and all of that. Still one of the worst things we've ever watched, but okay. (laughs) Or maybe Return of the Living Dead 3, a movie I did recommend. And I'll tell you, I toyed with a recommend. I kind of thought about it for last week. Last week had some things I actually respected in it, but I realized that the film just didn't cohere. Here, this film has nothing I respect in it, but the big question I have is, is Alexis Arquette's hammy performance good enough to give this movie I recommend just to see him chew up the scenery as Tony Reno. That might be a first ever for Alexis Arquette. Truthfully, <laughs> and coming from me, I am an Alexis Arquette hater. I watched The Surreal World with him on it. I think he might have been going by Eva Destruction, his drag queen name at that point. I mean, I really can't stand Alexis Arquette. I have seen him in so much. I thought he was toxic to the wedding singer. I just don't like Alexis Arquette. But here, as yes, this Jerry Seinfeld type of demonic greaser with these bad one-liners, I was really enjoying his performance. I think this is Alexis Arquette's best performance I've ever seen but I'm still not going to recommend this movie. <laughs> Good choice, sir. I, yeah, that's that's the way to go. Let's not lose our heads just because we've been watching a string. And I mean a string of really bad films. I think we've seen so many, we forget what a good one looks like. But I think we might be getting one on Friday. Yes, because we will be doing The Matrix, the original Matrix. And I'm surprised most people, when they think Keanu films don't go really good film, but... Stuart went right there with The Matrix. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily associate its greatness with Keanu. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll be a referendum on him as well. Not a Keanu fan, but certainly one of the big sci-fi movies of the late 90s and really of all time. We're trying to cover some sci-fi classics in the next couple months, which is why our silver level donation is covering Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, Animatrix, and hopefully this new Wachowski crazy bag thing coming out at the end of July, Jupiter Ascending, Gold Donation, eight more sci-fi quasi-classics for you, Planet of the Apes with Heston, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Apes, Conquest the Apes, Battle the Apes, Burton the Apes, Rise the Apes, <laughs> and Dawn the Apes. All of that is coming out in the next couple months. I'm really excited. We got some sci-fi notables. Plus, we'll be doing Kubrick's 2001 and 2010. I really think that, yeah, we're getting our sci-fi on, and I can start thinking about something other than how much I hate Stephen King short story movies. 
yes, donations are open now for all the details. Hit the banner at the top of our homepage. And remember, your support keeps us on the air. It is your financial donations that allow us to do all of the podcasts we do, both pay for the bandwidth, pay for the servers, which we did again upgrade in the past year to handle even more traffic every time we put out a new show. And to be honest, well, we none of us are getting rich off of this. I think the slight stipend we get does help Stuart endure. Come back for more? Yes, it sure does. <laughs> I ain't doing it because I got to know what happens next. So thank you in advance for your support. And we will be back Tuesday when we come back for more. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Sometimes They Come Back retrospective series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can't run away from this. This evil will follow you wherever you go. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based off the works of Stephen King. Bring the wife and kid. It's fun for the whole family. Ah! <laughs> And in the archives section, you can find reviews of more Stephen King films, including Carrie, The Shining, The Mangler, Salem's Lot, plus other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Star Trek, The Avengers, Transformers, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's a trap! He wants you to go down there! And also visit our sister podcast at booksandnachos.com where you can hear reviews of the original Stephen King books and stories on which these films are based. Sissies with books. Read me a story, sissy. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Mind giving me a hand? <laughs> you can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No matter what the pain and the cost, I'll pay it. Please, please help me. And head over to our website to find out how your donation can get you bonus podcast reviews of The Matrix and Planet of the Apes movies, as well as this summer's new movie, Jupiter Ascending. These bonus podcasts are only available to those who donate a minimum amount before July 31st, 2014. Find the details of our spring donation drive at nowplayingpodcast.com. You want to give that to me? Oh, I'd love to give it to you. Now Playing's Sometimes They Come Back retrospective series is edited by Dylan, Phil, and Arnie. If I had known the horror we were facing, I would have run from this town forever. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. No one does a tongue tango like I do, sweetheart. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Now Playing Podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. None of us are here officially. You know, they know that, that our country would just sweep us under the rug. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Do I get extra credit now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. If they're unhappy enough, something's left unsettled, sometimes they come back.
podcast list. I'm usually more on it, but this week, illness. Not Mr. Keaton, the next Karate Kid. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Double Oscar winners. A greaser that looks like a young Jerry Seinfeld. That's Alexis Arquette. <laughs> Michael Gross won an Oscar? No, no, Hillary won too. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Enough to go around. There is hope after being the next Karate Kid. And my father, the hero. Oh, was she in that? Wasn't that her? I don't know. The one where Dave Pardue wanted to sleep with his daughter? Okay, that wasn't her, I guess. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I thought that was her. It's not her. All right, just cut no, that. No, no, that was yeah. someone else. That was someone attractive, from what <laughs> I remember. Hello, Mrs. Norman. Can Jimmy come out and play? <laughs> 